The West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestCoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network exploring all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos, read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S. Experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestCoastTraveler.com. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. It's season three, and we're exploring how our homes can improve our well-being. We'll be looking at the impact of the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the acoustic levels in our homes, smart kitchens, award-winning designs, and leading-edge building construction. We ask the questions, so you know how to make your home work for you. I'm Jennifer Lee Gunson. And I'm Mike Friedman. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. Hey, Mike, it's Measure Twice, Cut Once. It sure is, Jennifer Lee, and I'm stoked for today's guest. Last episode, we took a deep dive into light and sound, and it became very apparent the importance and value of professionals who are experienced in home construction and building design. Absolutely. It always starts with good design. And an appreciation for planning with knowledgeable builders for quality construction. Here, here, and now you're talking my language. The buildings we live in and our quality of life is inextricably linked. The air we breathe and the water, the light, and the sound that nourishes the people living in the homes have huge impacts on our health and wellness. And speaking of impact today, we have two guests who are making some noise in the local award circles. We have Joe Glush, president of Nikoon Contracting, and Kang Nui, principal residential designer of Architrix Design Studio. You are both nominated as Georgie finalists and are in the running for the Haven Awards to be announced in March. Welcome, gentlemen. So, Joe, can we start with you? Can you tell us a little about yourself and your company? And then, Kang, we'll switch over to you. We want to learn a little bit about you as well. Yeah, sure. So, Joe Galoosh, I'm the owner and president of Nikoon Contracting. I've been doing this uh, in this business for most of my life since I was five or six years old, walking around following my father uh, in the general contracting world. Business is made up of really two components. One is sort of part three projects, which would be uh, not necessarily appropriate for these conversations. And the other is part nine, which will be single family homes, uh, duplexes, triplexes, and these type of things. Thanks for having me. What about you, Kang? What brings you here today? I am uh, excited to be here and I got this great invitation to be here and to share, I guess, what we do and, uh, and to talk about our projects and what, uh, you know, where I see the housing market in uh, Vancouver and BC headed. Yeah, so a little bit about myself. I started Architrix in 2007, so I haven't been uh, doing it as long as Joe's been building, but I've always had a passion for for houses ever since I was a little kid. I remember just walking around my neighborhood and just really appreciating all the different houses, mainly not really just architecture, but houses. I just always remember looking at people's houses and always be, been interested going through my friends' houses and like exploring. So it's, it's pretty interesting now that I'm working as a designer, designing these homes in these spaces. We primarily focus on part nine buildings. So again, as Joe mentioned, that's single family homes up to four units. So triplexes, duplexes, and fourplexes. And I know we talked about this on Measure Twice Cut Once a lot about duplexes and other multifamily homes. And I grew up in a duplex. Like my father is a builder. We have a construction company. And it's interesting to me now that they're like the hip thing to live in because they weren't when I was living in. And I lived in a beautiful duplex built by my father. But it's really nice to see that people are getting on the duplex or even triplex train now. 
and appreciating these because just because you live in a duplex doesn't mean that they're small. Yeah, it's so many opportunities with duplex and triplex today that we're seeing and it's uh, opening up a different perspective, I think, from the marketplace and in what may be, you know, the past, as you describe, where uh, it's it's totally, uh, totally cool and, and, and hip to be inside of uh, one of these projects. Yeah, and I think that's like going back to some misconceptions about duplexes is the fact like the size of them Mine was a regular sized home. It just was attached to another <laughs> home. And so people would come in and they're like, oh, this is how big your home is. Like we thought it was going to be really tiny. This is a duplex. <laughs> so it's just like teaching people that it's just like another type of home. And, and, and some of them are even getting bigger now because depending on the municipality, you can actually put a legal suite in the bottom That's too right. and then rent it out and give another housing option for somebody. Yeah, so it's like a duplex inside of a duplex. It's very similar to what a single family home would look like where you would have the main and the second floor as the principal dwelling and then the basement as a basement suite. So you can achieve a very similar scenario in a duplex. It really depends on the size of the lot. Um, Obviously, the larger the lot, the larger the duplex. But if it's designed right and if it's designed with intention, then you can definitely make a rental suite inside a duplex and it really does feel like a single family home. You have a unique philosophy with your company. Can you talk a little about your philosophy and how that influences the decisions you make and how you work with people like Joe and everybody else in our industry? You know, obviously... Over the years, the philosophy refines and refines itself as I do more projects, as we meet with different clients, and as I, and really as policy changes as well, mainly with Vancouver and uh, the, the densification that's really happening in Vancouver, the make home policy that's being explored now with the city, with the city councillors. My philosophy really weighs down to just being simple and focusing on trying to create very practical, pragmatic, and, and easy to build homes that obviously will look beautiful and unique depending on you know the client's direction. Through my whole lifestyle, I try to keep things as simple as possible. I try not to travel too far to get to work. I try not to complicate the decisions I make. And I think that comes through in how I design and how I guide clients as well. So the path of least resistance is kind of where I like to focus. It's the idea that we kind of need to change our mindset here in Vancouver. We are a global city. And I think sometimes we look down upon living in a small place or something that is maybe not what we think is the traditional space, which is like the home with five bedrooms, five bathrooms, like maybe something that was reminiscent of our childhood home if we were lucky enough to live in something like that. And I think we need to look to other parts of the world, like other global cities like New York or London. And it's nothing new. They've been doing the whole idea of like live in your radius, you know, bike to work, be social, walk outside, be in your community. But you're only living in a small area. So I think it's just trying to shift our mindset of like, oh, like people are going to look down upon me if I live in a duplex or a triplex or whatever. And it's like, no, actually, that's what a lot of other people live in cities. Or a simple home, right? So having a bit more of a simple lifestyle in a simple home is a good direction for, I'd like to say, humanity in general. I think it boils down through COVID and through kind of having a lot of time to think about things in the in your own home all by yourself you start to really focus in on what's important to you and and, and over complexity I think ends up being wasteful in many ways whether it's building a house or whether it's making a decision in life 
um, to keep things simple, I think, is where I like to always veer towards. Where's the cutoff for that, out of curiosity? What's the difference between a simple home and a complex home? Does it have to do with the decoration or the number of windows in it? Help us understand how you see a simple home. Is less more? It's hard to define that, or it's hard to you know really pinpoint a definition or uh, an answer, but I would say a simple home in my mind would be you know, to put it in simple terms, just a box, a box with a roof. And then within that box to really create and customize the spaces within as best as you can, depending on the homeowner's needs or the environment around the house and the environment that it sits in, but not to over complicate the design and to have superfluous design details and to have material that's shipped in from Italy or, you know, having big steel overhangs. All that creates a beautiful bespoke home, absolutely. But where I like to lead our clients is basic and easy to build. And, you know, from Joe's perspective, he can talk a little bit more about what that means from the construction side of things. Well, that's great. Joe, I'm curious. Now, you're a builder, so you're not looking at it from the same perspective. What constitutes a simple home from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, from the construction perspective, nothing's, nothing's very simple these days, is it? We've got, uh, we've got ever-changing building codes, ever-changing municipal requirements and bylaws and zoning, and it's very hard to keep up. And, and uh, Kang and, and other designers and architects do, do a lot of the heavy, heavy lifting on that regard. I would agree with if we're looking for simplicity, there is sometimes unnecessary complex detailing, materiality, and other things that will cost a considerable amount of money and may not uh, realize value for that particular client. So I think Kang describes his his approach and, and his clients, um, you know, from our side as a custom home builder, uh, we get a number of different uh, um, projects that come in and it comes down to owner requirements and what's of value to them. So anything from the, from the high luxury, super complicated home to the very simple energy efficient home and every individual owner's requirements are different. We have to assess those and then customize a solution and find the right team and the right partners to work with on being able to achieve their objectives. You know, building a home is, is, it's not a simple thing. Especially with the step code, obviously it's good that it's in place, but depending on what part of the step code you're reaching, there is a lot more to the home than maybe it was before, especially material-wise as well. It's added um, layers of complexity from the building application side, from the coordination of all the consultant side. That's the other thing where, you know, you go back 10 years, you go back 15 years and compare the the number of professionals required to make a building permit application in, in most municipalities here. And, you know, it might be up to 10 on some. And so that's needed to get core. Coordinated, and then you've got the step code adding layers of complexity to the envelope and really the fabrication process as we look at it. And it, it makes even simple things uh, less simple than they used to be, for sure. And do you find a lot of clients that are coming into either one of you that they are coming in with like a long list of dreams and wishes? Or are you finding they're pretty realistic when they come in and maybe they are looking for more simplicity? When a client initially chats with us, their list is usually quite long and, and quite involved. And because a lot of the times they don't necessarily know what they can get in a house. Some, some clients are very educated and they're well-researched or they're experienced. So they, they know a little bit more about the space they have, but many clients don't realize what they're able to do. So their list is quite long. And part of our process is to go through that and to just to hone in and pick what would fit and what's important. So that list often gets pared down to the priority spaces. And then there's 
another list of of what ifs or you know ancillary spaces that if there was extra space that we could try to fit that in but yeah the spaces in my philosophy we look at the spaces and we again we try to simplify those spaces or we try to look at combining certain spaces to create multiple or flexible spaces and trying to make the program a lot more easy to put on paper um, and ultimately shape into a home that is is easier to build and Joe's right you know to build a home is very complicated these days and every step of the way if you're able to take a step back and to and to think about potentially a more simple approach it helps at the end of the day with the bottom line of ultimately a really complex process. How does the nature of your partnership simplify the process and get rid of some of those challenges? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can jump on that. I think like an integrated design process, in our opinion, is the only way to go forward with custom housing and really any type of project. Um, and so what that would mean is that, you know, the the first two and nowadays three key people are involved in the project would be the, the architect or designer, the builder, and the energy advisor is now another layer here which a couple years ago that wouldn't be on the list yet potentially depending on what you're doing but but you need those three people together early and often and then of course you need a client and so these client requirements are so important at the beginning it doesn't matter we do everything from little infill projects to large super luxury homes there's always a budget right at they're going to be at different magnitudes but there's always a budget and the client always needs to understand uh, where that budget can be allocated that creates value for them because it's different for everybody. Someone might want to spend hundreds of thousands on a, on an audio file type of system and someone else might want to spend none. Uh, and so it depends on, you know, where, where the value lies for, the, for that owner. And so we're always encouraging to spend those funds in, in areas that you're going to receive value, you're going to use, you're going to see, you're going to touch every day. And to be able to do that, a bit of a checkpoint back and forth between the design, the progression of the design in parallel with the progression of the cost estimate and schedule estimate and other things allows a bit of iteration to occur throughout that process um, and and get to a point in which um, the customer will get really what they what they ultimately wanted and I think this is quite different than from when I started in the industry where you would get you know it would be pretty standard you know there'd be a building permit the person might have the building permit in hand and then they'd go start talking to builders and say hey can you give me a price and can you start um, and we don't see any of that these days ourselves I think because we we, we pitch the integrated process but Let's get involved very early because just a building permit application nowadays requires a considerable amount of coordination, doesn't it, Ken? And patience because it takes a while. (laughs) I know we've talked about step code in our past episodes, but just a little refresher for anybody that might need to know, who is the energy advisor and what is their role? We work pretty closely with the energy advisors at the beginning of the design project to determine the thermal values. And then through construction, the energy advisor just you know, does their testing and, and works with the builder, you know, through construction. But the energy advisor is mandatory now in many municipalities, but it's not like they didn't exist before. An energy consultant did exist um, prior to these mandatory requirements for them to provide information. But previous to these current uh, 
policies of providing energy models the energy the energy advisors were mainly in working in the high performance um, realm where they would be looking at passive houses or net zero houses or doing hot 2000 models. These are trained professionals who take the design of the house and they look at what's being proposed in terms of wall thicknesses, roof thicknesses, floor thicknesses, and they build an energy model to study how much energy is being used to either heat or cool the house and they look at window openings as well they look at all a whole gambit of parameters and then they provide a, a information or metrics on the perform on the performance of the home and they can advise as to what can be improved to get better performance so this was already happening but mainly with higher performance homes and now they're required to provide these models with every home to start to understand how much energy our homes, our housing is is needing to heat and cool. And I think this is going to lead to more policy and controlling the energy output or the energy consumption of these homes. So first step is really to understand what's happening with energy consumption. And I think the next steps are for policies to control and to mandate certain minimums or maximums for energy usage. Do these numbers correlate to wellness and comfort in the home, or is it just a model you use for figuring out the end result? That's a great question. I think being discussed across the Canada, North America now, indoor air quality or IAQ, if you're up to speed on your acronyms, uh, is, is something that is being discussed and comfort and how do we measure comfort? OK, so a lot of these programs, which uh, which uh, Kang, Kang spoke to sort of outside of the BC step code that are branded energy or comfort programs, net zero, passive house, these type of labels, they do have comfort components to them. However, the, the big challenge now is what is comfort? How do we measure comfort and uh, what, what is included in that conversation? And so there's some interesting innovations going on out there and, and some other factors. But for me, for, as a high performance builder, since, you know, going back 15 years, that was always the intent. It was quality, it was comfort, and then operational energy performance or usage of a home and measuring that, which is the focus today, is incorrect, in my opinion. And I think we're starting to see change in that. It's how did we reduce that operational energy and what impacted the activities and materials we used and, and executed impact energy usage globally? So this embodied carbon piece. And so it's a whole, there's a whole big interesting thing going on now where the focus is on operational energy performance. And if you pull back up to the big picture, why is all this happening? Well, it's all about climate change and it's all about impact. And so we're now looking more at life cycle analysis and embodied carbon and overall impact of that house from its materials, its operation, and then its deconstruction or its, or its removal. What are we doing at the end with all of these things? Well, I have a question. You're talking about uh, disassembling homes. Now, where I'm at, it seems like 30, 35 years is about when we take down a home based on things built in the 80s. Have we progressed beyond that? Are we now at a point where we can build homes for a longer period of time? And, and what's the difference? What determines how long a home stands for? So let's look at regulations. So builder licensing, mandatory home warranty, these kind of things have all changed since then. And so that's going to introduce some level of quality standards outside of the BC building code. And so I think, you know, the 2510 warranty program introduced in the, in the 90s, I, I, I believe, 
became mandatory. And so that's going to ensure the structure is good, is sound, uh, and that uh, the envelope is, 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 is done well. And just another layer of, of somebody looking at what was maybe just looked at by, by building officials, depending where you are may have varying levels of of how close they're looking perhaps so you know i'm thinking you know there's no reason we can't build a single family home or a structure that out of wood that's going to last for 100 years um there's absolutely no reason behind it and so um you know it is it is interesting to see now what may happen as we start looking at um at urban density you know, consolidated sort of multi-generational families trying to get into the housing market and affordable and these new um, these new policies that are going to allow maybe what creates demolition of 30-year-old homes to create, you know, a, a neat little four-unit or five-unit thing or some type of strategic infill. So maybe it didn't reach its life, but maybe the the zoning or the bylaw changed around it or the requirements inside of the, of the, of the city changed and, and caused that building to come down. So it's an interesting topic, though. Like, to me, uh, buildings should be, there's no reason they shouldn't be constructed to be able to last for 100 years. You know, it's interesting that you brought up policy change as a potential trigger to demolition. I see that quite often, actually, where um, a, a neighborhood or a whole zone gets upzoned and you end up being able to build, you know, a fourplex or a sixplex potentially coming up now, or even like a duplex in the current or in the in the current regulations, you can build a duplex on any RS zone. So what that's triggered was, you know, quite a lot of homeowners and, and developers um, in perfectly good homes, single family homes, just tearing them down to build a duplex, which often nets, you know, more capital or a, a quicker sell or the ability to have, you know, multifamily or multi-generational living on a lot. So the, the zoning change that happens too quickly and, and too short-sightedly, I feel triggers demolition unnecessarily. So, you know, who... And I, I'm not a policymaker. I'm not a council person. I don't know all the decisions that go around it. But it'd be interesting to make certain policies or decisions that are that are suited for much f- further down in the future, much further away in the future, so that it future proofs the zoning bylaws. So to allow for much larger density now so that the option or the ability to build these larger buildings for much further down the road in the future exists now so that we're not having to demolish every time there's an updated policy change. Well, it's really interesting. And I read a report, a government report about a year and a half ago. By 2050, the vast majority of people in lower mainland will simply live in high density buildings. There's just no way it's sustainable to have three or four people sitting in a lot when you could have 15 or 20 families sitting on the same lot. We're we're just pinched for space. So it's really exciting because I like the efficiency that comes with it. And I like the fact that more people have a place to call home in this beautiful part of the world. Joe, I want to talk to you a little about building and design trends. Can you talk to us? about some of the trends you're seeing in terms of design and building in the city so people understand, first of all, where we're going so they can be ahead of it, and second of all, to give us what you think that future looks like for us in a few years. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this whole, I guess, really this topic of this missing middle that we're talking about, you know, the duplex, triplex, fourplex, we're seeing a lot more of that, and that's because zoning and, and policy is changing to allow that, which makes a lot of sense, in my opinion. Um, and so we're seeing, I mean, you know, we're we're known in the marketplace and, and always have been as, as a high-performance builder, one who's going to build above the code and who's going to seek higher levels of energy performance and comfort and quality is, is essentially that. And so that is the type of customer that's coming to us and so the trends we're seeing now um, net zero uh, as a as a as a concept so a home that uh, is built to a high level of energy performance and has uh, renewable energy of source of some kind to create its own power and on an annualized basis it will net out at zero so it pr- produces just as much power as it consumes on an annual basis and so we're seeing that as a trend that's what we do and that's what we're experts at so it's probably why we're we're, we're, we're seeing that as a trend but uh, that being net zero energy and then I think, you know, the next thing coming down the pipe is going to be more of a net zero impact or a net zero carbon. So, so how, you know, how, how did my home get constructed? Where is it going to go? And, and am I going to be comfortable inside it while, it, while, it's, a, while, while it's a building? So we're seeing that. Um, and then we're certainly seeing consolidation. So families um, consolidating uh, um, uh, incomes and, uh, and capital and saying, hey, let's buy a property and let's build a triplex or let's build a, a duplex with a suite and let's get, you know, let's get mom down in the suite and let's get two families upstairs in comfortable, high-quality um, situations. And so the size of things is trending down. The needs of somebody, even in single family, where, you know, the 4,500-square-foot home was pretty classic, uh, um, you know, years back. And now we're seeing people with the ability to build that size of a home and sort of saying, hey, you know what? We only need 3,200 square feet, and let's maximize our dollar in quality and not quantity. It's an exciting trend. Got a question. Um, We talked just a couple moments ago about net zero housing, and that's obviously a very big part of our future. If I'm thinking about building a home or investing in a home, is there a long-term analysis? I mean, obviously, I'm going to save on my resources, but is that net zero home going to make my conventional home worth less as a result of market demand or simply because it's going to be more compliant to codes? Like, Help me understand the long game with this house that I'm building. It's going to cost me more to build a net zero house, but what are my advantages as a homeowner? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could jump on that. I mean, I think, you know, the BC Energy Step Code, um, just in its infancy, really, um, is, is has prescribed what is going to happen to the building codes as far as energy performance go. I predict it may scale back a little bit as we learn a little bit, and we might not get to step five being the being the be-all, end-all. That's my uh, little prediction. You can mark that on the record. Um, however, uh, we can see into the future. So, City of Vancouver, uh, they, they're not using uh, the step code as, as, as a measure, although um, their current regulation is probably around step code four, three and a half, four, depending on where you are and the orientation and all of these other factors. And so you're kind of already there as a mandatory code to build what is a net zero ready home. What that means is a home that is... Uh, built to the technical requirements of the net zero label, meaning it has a very good ener- uh, envelope, it has very good windows, it has air tightness, and it has um, HRV and some other components required in the in the technical specs. And then all you're doing is adding a renewable energy source to make it net zero. And so, you know, there's, depending where you are, what your orientation is to the sun and the efficiency of the panels and a number of other factors, there's cases in this city that could show you a 13-year payback on on 
panels just from a straight cost perspective. So you can sign up for a net metering program with BC Hydro and essentially your, your meter is spinning backwards and you're getting credits when you're not using the energy. And so, so in my opinion, um, you know, to capture comfort quality and, um, and something that, you know, has warranty on it for typically 30 years, that's going to pay it back in 13. If it's a long-term family home that you plan to hold for a long time, then in my opinion, it's a good investment. Well, I'm really excited to learn more from you guys. Joe, Kang, I'm really excited about this design build trends that we've been talking about and want to dive into your personal philosophies a little more. But first, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Measure Twice, Cut Once is grateful for the support from our podcast partners, Fortis BC. Their support helps us share expert knowledge and resources like you're hearing today from Joe of Nikoon Contracting and Kang of Architects Design Studio to help build and design the home right for you. Speaking of resources, the BC Energy Step Code Program is a provincial standard that is moving to the entire home building industry forward to build homes to better energy efficiency standards, which means better comfort, health and safety. Be sure to check out betterhomesbc.ca where you'll find a variety of rebates for construction materials, home energy evaluations, plus mortgage and tax refunds. That's great information, but I'm really excited to get back to Joe and Kang and continue our conversation. This has been fantastic. So we talked a little bit about duplexes and the fact that we're seeing more triplexes and what were you saying how many are there now triplexes when does it become an apartment building at that point i want to know that question it's a good question when i'm speaking about these new policies to allow for four to six units on a single family lot i'm really just talking about the vancouver policies other municipalities aren't quite there yet with uh, their densification plan so in vancouver the intent is to allow potentially four to six units on a on a single family lot or an rs lot and um, currently six would be at least as far as what I know, six seems to be the, the, the maximum number, and I'm not sure what other parameters or stipulations are going to uh, be presented around that. So we're just waiting to see what um, the, the city staff, you know, release. How do they get around some of the challenges? Like, as an example, um, I have to be back 25 feet from the street in my municipality, and I can only take up 70% of my yard. If I'm putting six units on there, that may change. Have they changed the building codes to facilitate some of this? Or is it more creative than that where you have to go higher or lower? Like how do they get around putting six units or four units or even two units where once there was one? Does that mean we don't have yards anymore? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, it's, so I think like there's a there's a bylaw portion to that question and then the energy ties in. And so this is an interesting one. Let's say inside the city of Vancouver, for instance, in their Vancouver building bylaw, if you build to passive house standard or you build to a full net zero standard, then they'll give you a density bonus of 18%, I believe it is. And to build a passive house or a net zero home, you need thicker walls. You've got different details and therefore you may need to encroach on setbacks both in the front and side yard and might challenge the existing zoning bylaws and other things that have been in place for a long time before new bylaw, new policy came into play. And so we see that often and Ken could probably speak to it a little bit more uh, intelligently, but but the domino effect of, of you know, a, a new bylaw or a new policy implemented. And so let's add six plex to a uh, single family lot, uh, which then triggers the need to look at the setback and other uh, other 
bylaws and then the environmental piece and and it can get quite quite challenging so i think there's a bit of work to do there for sure in the city of Ant to try and figure out the how on this it's it's great to announce it i think it's a great you know it's a great it's a great idea it's a great concept to allow more housing and, and more diversified quality housing in the city but but i think it's going to be interesting on on the how how we do this and what we've found is it's challenged to do to do a lot right now and, and things are slow and, and it's hard to get answers to questions that that then need to go through various levels of, of sort of review from from 15 different groups so joe you're up for some georgie awards you've entered the haven awards can you share some of the projects that nikoon is in the running to win yeah for sure thanks thanks for that we have uh, interesting three three projects uh, involved in uh, in nine different uh, categories and uh, and they're all quite different so uh, we, we've got a, a an infill beautiful single family home around just over 3,000 square feet of Vancouver that we worked uh, on with Kang uh, with a great great client and a, and a great great designer and uh, and so that's up for uh, for best custom home and uh, we've got another home a little bit larger in North Vancouver also with a great client and great designer uh, that's up for a different category of best custom home and then we've got a, a much larger uh, home out in South Surrey on the High Bank waterfront, also for a great architect and great, great client. Uh, we got lucky. And so it's up for, for a different category. So three custom homes, uh, all in different categories. And then uh, we've added some other, um, I think my favorite application, we went in for a category called Best Any Room. Not a category we would typically go after. And the room we entered was the garage in the home out in South Surrey. And so this home has, uh, this is a net zero home. It's got uh, ground mount solar, roof mount solar, and it's got six Tesla wall batteries in it. So it could operate for over four days, full pull on these batteries. And they're all displayed beautifully in the garage, two electric cars and a beautiful uh, timber roof. And so that's probably my favorite of them all. One of our homes is up for an award. That's the one that Joe mentioned. Um, and that category, I believe, is best performing. Uh, actually, it's in for two. So best best custom home uh, at a certain dollar threshold and then best energy efficient home or energy labeled home. Yes, energy labeled. That's right. That's right. And then we have another home that's a duplex that's up for uh, and again it's it's based on size so it's it's uh, under uh, the, the category for that is best home under two million dollars something like yeah that. i can't keep yeah. up on that it keeps going up though i know that so we have yeah we, yeah, we have two homes one one a duplex and then the the one with uh, nikoon oh congratulations to both of you well well deserved accolades and to be nominated for that is well, reflective of the kind of work that you guys both do. Yeah, congratulations to both of you. And Joe, uh, being an award-winning um, nominee, um, I know that you guys do a lot of work around town and you guys go above and beyond. Uh, you build over the basic code. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think typically it's been our approach from, from the beginning. Uh, one is to be unique to um, think outside of the box on how we can improve the quality of the building and the quality of the energy performance and comfort without having to spend a considerable amount of money. 
And the beginnings of that just comes down to paying attention to detail and really understand the building science behind the the project. And so um, air tightness is a big factor today, good quality windows um, and a good quality ventilation system or the lungs of the house or the fresh air machine uh, is, is what's called an HRV, a heat recovery ventilator. And so the, so those components are, are imperative to good quality um, construction. And, um, you know, the code's caught up. I think, you know, we look at some projects we did, you know, 10, 12 years ago that were, you know, cutting edge on the on the energy efficient innovation side and, and built to uh, to standards that are now normal today or become mandatory in code. And so I think it's great. I think we just need to keep an eye on what level of mandatory regulation is going into energy performance. It's happened very rapidly. I'm an advocate of, of good quality homes and, and, and well-built homes and, uh, and some regulation around energy performance. But I do think we need to pause for a moment and take a look at what is being mandated and make sure that it is it is the right thing um, and that it is the right time. Um, and so I think we're in an interesting time in the marketplace and uh, and a lot's happened in you know in from a code perspective over the last 10 years versus the 50 years in front of that. Um, and so it's it's been interesting time. That is a great pro tip, Joe. Now, Kang, over to you. What is one parting tip that you can give everyone out there that's wanting to maybe design their home? Oh, yeah. Uh, I would say a good tip that I would put out there is to have a good team involved and to kind of understand what your goals are for your project, whether it's a single family home, whether it's high performance home or a duplex or a triplex or sixplex to really understand what your goal is. And then from there to search out the teams and the professionals that will really take you there. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been great. Joe King, thank you for joining us today's episode of Measure Twice, Cut Once, the value of good design and professional contractors with trades who know their craft cannot be overstated. TV can make it seem so easy. And yet from today's discussion, one gains an appreciation for the complexities in permitting and building science, noting the science is often ahead of the code. Absolutely. You both share great insights on the benefits of keeping design simple to improve our lives and the bottom line when considering achieving higher energy efficiencies, better quality of living and lower construction cost. I've really enjoyed talking about what is trending in the home building market, the trend towards smaller footprint, and of course, the value of smart design. Thank you very much, Joanne Kang. This has been an amazing episode and a really enjoyable one. To our listeners, if you've enjoyed this podcast as much as we've enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, and share with your friends and families. The more followers we have, the more people will find our podcast and the excellent resources our guests are sharing. For notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, including pictures of these award-winning projects, go to haven.ca slash measure twice cut once. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com.